This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for January 28, 2021. Apple issues critical security updates for five product lines, browser news for Firefox and Chrome, plus what you need to know about ergonomics. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm trying to catch up with all the updates I have to do on all my Apple devices. It was Patch Tuesday again, wasn't it? Ah, yes. <laughs> well, so we, we, we have a lot of update cycles, right? There's Microsoft has its Patch Tuesday, uh, which Adobe used to follow for Flash before Flash officially died. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Apple tends to release updates uh, early in the week, uh, often on Tuesday. And they came out with a bunch of updates this week. And these are really important updates. So I think we need to stress to everyone that you've got to update your devices as soon as possible. Yeah. So there were, let's see, five software products that they released updates uh, for, security updates. Um, so there's a new version of watchOS, tvOS, iOS and iPadOS, iCloud for Windows, and Xcode. Um, the most and interesting... HomePod OS. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's Can't not forget, forget HomePod, HomePod OS. OS. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Technically, um, it's a subset of iOS, but it is a separate, you know, it is a separate operating system. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I'm just looking at the Apple security updates page and they don't list HomePod OS there for some reason. Well, there was an update. And by the way, if you have a HomePod and you want to update your HomePod sooner than when it automatically updates, go into the Home app, uh, tap and hold the little square for your device and then just swipe up a little bit. It's going to automatically start updating. And what I found is I have four HomePods, two big ones and two minis. Once you start downloading to one device, they all show that they're downloading. And I think what happens is one device downloads the update and then sends it to the others. But if you start, if you have multiple HomePods and you start the download on one device, it'll do it for all of them. Cool. That's a good tip. By the way, I'm, I'm very curious to know, like, uh, how many of our listeners are using HomePods. So you, if you want to, you can send us an email, podcast at intego.com, and let us know. Okay, so what what did they update? The main thing is that there were some critical vulnerabilities that have all been exploited in the wild, supposedly, according to uh, information that Apple has received. And there are three that they specifically call out um, as as being actively exploited. There's one kernel vulnerability, and they say uh, that a malicious application may be able to elevate privileges. And Apple is aware of a report that this issue may have been actively exploited. And then the, the dis further description is a race condition was addressed with improved locking. Yes. Now you need to explain race condition. This is a term that I've seen before, and we were discussing before the show that I didn't know what it means. 
Right. Okay. So the the Wikipedia definition is this. Uh, race condition is the condition of an electronic software or other system where the system's substantive behavior is dependent on the sequence or timing of other uncontrollable events. So in plain English, basically, this means that uh, with a race condition, you have um, a bug where something is able to happen out of its normal sequence that can, it, uh, w when we're talking about security issues in race conditions, we're talking about an issue where the timing, if the timing is off, there can be a vulnerability. Um, and so this is one of those cases where somebody found an exploitable race condition that they were able to use. Uh, and so therefore it has a, its own vulnerability number. That still sounds complicated, but I think that's a good enough description. Basically, there's an order in which things have to go. It's like putting the icing on your cupcakes before you put them in the oven, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that wouldn't work out so well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So make sure you update uh, as soon as possible. By the way, the, the other two issues uh, they mention are WebKit issues. WebKit, as we've mentioned many times, is the uh, the rendering engine behind Safari, and it's used by many other macOS applications as well, and, and iOS, of course. Um, in fact, you'll notice that WebKit is one of these things that exists in all of these Apple operating systems, including tvOS, which doesn't have a browser. Well, but WebKit isn't just for browsers, and we've said this many times. WebKit yeah. is a page rendering um, framework, and when you open an email in mail, it's WebKit. Um, WebKit is actually in a lot of places in macOS. If you look at any of the sidebars in the Finder, in the Music app, those sidebars are rendered using WebKit. And you may notice this sometimes that you'll open, say, the Photos app or the Music app, and the app window will display, but it'll take a second or two for the sidebar to fully display. That's because WebKit's catching up rendering. Okay, so so WebKit is used widely by all of these different Apple operating systems, um, and they say for this one uh, that a remote attacker may be able to cause arbitrary code execution. And again, Apple is aware of a report that this issue may have been actively exploited. And they list two two vulnerability numbers. Um, they say that a logic issue was addressed with improved restrictions. Is how they how they resolved this. But I have a question here. We talked about all the platforms that were updated, but there's one missing. Yes, right. This is important because um, there is no macOS update yet. And presumably, macOS is affected by these vulnerabilities uh, or potentially affected, whether it's actively been exploited on macOS. We don't know at this point because Apple hasn't said one way or another. But if you look at the bottom of, uh, for example, the iOS 14.4 uh, uh, about the security content article, there's a little note at the bottom that says additional details available soon, which tells me that there are some other vulnerabilities that also probably exist in macOS, which hasn't been updated yet. And therefore, Apple is not wanting to give any additional information about those vulnerabilities, lest somebody else, you know, figure out what they are and start exploiting them before Apple has had a chance to release uh, those updates for Mac OS. Right. So these updates came out on Tuesday, the day before on Monday, Apple released the second release candidate of Big Sur 11.2. This is the final beta before the public release. They usually come out on Thursdays, don't they? Well, no, Mac OS updates sometimes come out on Tuesdays, but um, it, it's curious as to why this one's been delayed. Maybe there are other issues because obviously each, 
update is for, you know, each different operating system has different problems. Apple will often release iOS and macOS updates on the same day. I, I would guess that probably they didn't feel that it was quite ready yet, which is why I'm sure they released a second release candidate. Often there's only one release candidate, but uh, in this case, they had a second one that had just come out the day before they released this. So there, there's probably some other little bugs that they're working on fixing, um, but hopefully we'll have macOS 11.2, big, uh, the latest Big Sur update within the next few days, I would hope. Um, if not, My guess is it'll be out by the time this podcast is released on Thursday. It'll be out or later in the day Thursday. Apple doesn't often issue big updates like this on Fridays. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to release a big update right before a weekend, because if there are any problems with the deployment in, in a, like an enterprise organization, uh, you know, you don't really want to have your employees having to be working all weekend to try to fix things. So uh, it, if it doesn't get released this week, then I would guess probably early next week, um, because presumably there are some big bugs here that will affect macOS too. Okay, we're going to discuss web browsers a little bit. Um, we have a couple of things to say. The first is that Firefox 85, I got to say, when I see these version numbers, this is like weird. You know, <laughs> we're used to versions like 2 or 6 or 11 or 85. Firefox 85 removes Flash and adds protection against super cookies. I mean, this is like that whole, let's parse this sentence, a weird version number, Flash, which is dead, we've talked about, and super cookies. I never even heard of super cookies before. They're the high calorie version, I guess. <laughs> right, exactly. No, a super cookie is a little bit different. Instead of just um, being that uh, that normal plain text file originally designed to kind of keep uh, settings for websites that you visited. Super cookies can be used instead of cookies to store uh, uniquely identifiable tracking information about users as they visit websites. But the thing is that super cookies are just uh, harder to block and harder to delete. Um, it, you have a nice interface in most browsers to look through your regular cookies and super cookies have used things like flash storage in the past, um, uh, and they can use other things as well. Um, so it's not easy to find and remove them from your browser, um, hence the term super cookies, because they're much harder to get rid of and much harder to stop. Okay, so they've removed Flash, and we've talked about this, that Flash is dead. Um, there's no point in having Flash, and it's even safer if they just remove support for Flash entirely, isn't it? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, really, just about every browser has has done this by now. They've gotten rid of Flash entirely, and um, so it makes sense for Firefox to do this. Um, Adobe has officially killed Flash Player. There's no reason for it to be inside any mainstream browser anymore. The article on ZDNet we linked to mentions that Chrome and Edge have both removed support for Flash earlier this month with the release of Chrome 88 and Edge 88. Now, tell me how this is possible that Chrome that's been around for years and Edge that's new have the same version number. Chrome and Edge are both based on the Chromium rendering framework. So uh, th they both have the same guts underneath them. Um, originally, Microsoft Edge was its own thing. Microsoft originally developed it using a different rendering engine. Um, Chrome, uh, the history of Chrome's rendering engine is that it used to be based on WebKit, the same as Safari. 
And at one point they decided to break off and now they call it Blink. That's the, the underlying engine. But Blink. any Blink, yeah. Any My favorite HTML tag. The blink. Tag. Oh yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to a couple of web pages with the blink tag. So the Chromium framework uses this blink rendering engine, and so all browsers that are based on Chromium, which is like basically the open source version of Chrome, um, so that includes Chrome, Microsoft Edge, and a number of other uh, third party browsers, are all based on the same uh, Chromium open source software. That's why the current version of Edge, which is based on the same Chromium browser as Chrome, has the same version number. So so Edge and, Edge and Chrome are both based on Chromium. Chromium is at version 88 now. Okay, so you've had some problems with Chrome recently, and you switched browsers, didn't you? Well, yeah, I don't know if it's accurate to say that I necessarily was having problems with Chrome, but there was enough reason to suspect there might have been an issue that I decided to switch browsers last month. Okay, we're going to link to a web page entitled Chrome is Bad from December uh, 2020, in which a developer, I don't remember his name, explained that Chrome was slowing down his Mac and he did all these things to fix the Mac. But 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 then we're going to link to a 9to5 Mac article that says... Google Chrome might be bad, but it's not slowing down your Mac by a well-known developer, Guillaume Rambo. What's the story here? This looks really confusing. It's like one person thinks there's a problem. The other says it can't be this. Who's right? Well, that's it's still up for debate. I mean, there, there are people who fall on both sides of this, this debate. But essentially, uh, this chromeisbad.com website um, goes through a whole bunch of different reasons why this developer believed that uh, not specifically Google Chrome itself, but actually its updater background process called Keystone, they claimed that when this is running in the background, it can sometimes cause uh, spikes in CPU usage. In other words, your processing power is being used up by this background process. And so in my particular case, um, I had noticed that occasionally my processor uh, utilization was increasing. Um, I didn't Wait a necessarily... second, Josh. Wait a second. We've talked about your fan noise problem here many times. It's not noticed recently. You've got a problem with fan noise, and you've always thought that Chrome might be the culprit. I've kind of wondered about it before, and I have experimented with trying to quit Chrome and, and use uh, a different browser instead, but... Even when I did that, I still would sometimes get the fan noise, which is why I went back to using Chrome for a long time after that. So, yes. Yeah, so the, here's how this is related. Um, of course, when the CPU utilization increases, that can uh, cause the processor to heat up, which causes the fans to kick in and try to bring down the temperature. So... <laughs> Because of my ongoing issues with the fans sometimes getting loud when we're recording the podcast, I thought, okay, well, I don't know whether this is what's going on or not, but it's worth a try. So I'm going to completely remove Chrome from my computer. And um, so far, it, it, uh, it doesn't seem like it fully resolved the issue for me. Um, I'm still getting some fan noise occasionally when we're recording. Um, so I don't know whether it really helped me at all, but, uh, in any case, there's this ongoing debate 
And so if, if you're curious about what the different arguments are about whether Chrome or its background updating process are actually causing a problem, you can check out these articles and uh, decide for yourself. But if you do use Chrome or if you have used it and, you, and it's still installed on your computer, it's worth taking a look at these uh, articles and deciding for yourself what, uh, whether you should do something about it or just leave it alone and keep using it. Okay. Now, I find all this confusing. I just use Safari, and it's okay. And as I said to you before the show, three words, Josh, MacBook Air. You get a new MacBook Air without a fan, and you won't have a problem. Okay, one more Flash-related thing. The South African government has released its own browser just to re-enable Flash support. Now, this is like you make your own special car without seatbelts because you don't want to wear seatbelts, right? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. So essentially what, what happened is that uh, the South African Revenue Service um, had some Flash content on some of their pages that they're still relying on. And so even though Flash Player has officially reached its end of life, they're not releasing any more security updates for it, they've decided that they need to still have Flash Player functioning in their browser for their for their employees and so they released their own custom browser just to re-enable flash support so let's hope that they're not using this browser to do web browsing anyplace else because uh they could be opening themselves up to um you know flash vulnerabilities that are never going to get fixed but mac users don't have to worry because it's only available for windows yeah, so at least this browser is only available for Windows. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about ergonomics. If you've got a pain in your back, pain in the neck, we're going to tell you what to do to get rid of it. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so we're back, and we're going to talk about ergonomics. And, and I surprised Josh before we started. I said, ergonomics, it comes from erg, and he had never heard of an erg. An erg is an amount of work or energy, but it's mostly work. Uh, it's equal to 10 to the minus 7th joules or 10 nanojoules, which everyone knows. I like the Wikipedia description of an erg. It is approximately the amount of work done or energy consumed. By one common housefly performing one push-up, the leg-bending dip that brings its mouth to the surface on which it stands and back up. I mean, seriously. 
I'd like to meet the scientists who actually calculated this. So yes, erg actually comes from the Greek ergon, which means work, and ergonomics is the omics of work, actually, right? Ergonomics. Um, ergonomics is an important issue. We all work with computers. Uh, we work with lots of computers. We work with computers on our desk, on our laps, in our pockets, all over the place. Got one on my wrist. You too, right? Yeah. Um, one of the problems with computers is that when you're working in the same position or doing repetitive actions, you will get pain. Now, we all get back pain and neck pain. And there are a number of tips that I've written up in an article on the Intego Max Security blog um, that can help you resolve a lot of this pain. Let's start with the desk. Did you know that the standard for office desk height is about 73 centimeters or 29 inches? That's very specific. It is very specific. It's the ideal height for someone who's about six feet tall. Now, I happen to be six feet tall, so it suits me perfectly, but I have rarely met women who are six feet tall. I mean, there are lots of them. They play basketball, and they're tall women, but the majority of women are shorter than six feet tall. I've met lots of men who are shorter and even taller than six feet. But the office furniture overseers have decided that we're only going to make one height, and that's what it's going to be. Now, it's true that for many people, the height of the desk isn't a problem because if you can adjust the height of your chair to be appropriate to your desk, maybe even putting a footrest under your feet, um, if you're short, you can come up a little bit higher. One really good solution, and it's not, it's not a cure-all, but it would be to get a sit-stand desk. Our producer, Victor, at the beginning of the show, I noticed that he was lowering his sit-stand desk, which he just got recently. I, I have a sit-stand desk, and I actually don't use it standing a lot because standing all the time isn't that good either. So if you can sit for a while and stand for a while, maybe change it a couple times a day, that's a really good way to change your position. Yeah, that seems like a good idea. I, I've, I have um, used a footrest before. I'm a little bit shorter than six feet, so um, it, uh, it makes sense for me to, to be able to have my... Uh, ideally, you want your feet flat on the ground. You don't want yes. to um, be putting your toes on the ground and kind of having your, the, the ball of your foot up in the air. Um, that's, that's not good because then you're, you're constantly kind of tensing those, those muscles in your feet. Um, so the ideal position for your feet is to have them flat on the ground. I've never tried to sit stand desk before. Um, I have thought about that. I, I kind of like the idea of it because I'm sitting most of the day. I, I think it would be good to, to have the option of, of standing for at least short periods of time while, while working. Um, what I do instead is, um, I, I kind of, uh, one of the reasons actually I got an Apple watch was for the feature that, you know, kind of taps your wrist and reminds you, Hey, don't forget to stand up, uh, every hour. Um, because it's a good habit to get into, to make sure that you, um, you know, you're, you're not having to worry about blood clots and things like that. You, you, these things can be, um, potentially fatal if you're sitting, you know, at nonstop for eight hours a day, that can, can lead to really serious health problems actually. So it's good to get, up, take a break, walk around a little bit every so often. Wow, this just got dark. I was talking about back pain and neck pain, and you're talking about <laughs> fatal blood clots. <laughs> hey, a lot of people are genetically predispositioned for that. So it's it's good to to make sure that you're uh, aware of that if you are, and uh, and to try to you know avoid that. You want to live as long as possible. It's a good thing. Indeed, to do that. indeed. Um, so the one good thing about a sit stand desk is you can make the sitting height the height that matches your body. 
in addition to making it a standing desk. Now, th- you can buy some desks where you can adjust the height. I'm pretty sure IKEA makes some where you've got the two vertical supports with screws in them and you can change the height a few inches, but most office desks are a fixed height. Yeah, there there are some different options there. Um, I, I do like the idea of one that's like fully adjustable so you can put it at exactly the right height for you. Yeah. Okay. So the next most important thing is a chair. I have a chair that cost me, I'm trying to remember, about 1,200 euros when I bought it nine years ago. It's a steel case leap. You may know the Herman Miller Aeron chair. You see that in TV and movies all the time. It's the one with the mesh. The leap is considered to be of similar quality. It's highly adjustable. You can adjust the height. You can adjust the depth of the seat, the height of the armrest. You can move the armrest front and back. And ideally, you want to have all these adjustments and you want to make it fit for you It's a big expense, but if you do work from home or if you work in an office, convince your boss that having a good chair and setting it up correctly means you're going to have fewer sick days. Right. Actually, this is a great, great uh, point to mention to your boss. Um, You can, in in a lot of places, um, go to your local government uh, office. They will often have somebody who is an expert in ergonomics and they'll often do kind of a free consult. They'll come, come uh, to your workplace and give some recommendations on how you can improve your ergonomics in, in your workplace. So um, it's worth looking into and, uh, and yeah, Hey, you, you might get a nice uh, new chair out of it. So <laughs> we're, we're worth looking into that. Okay. So the third is the display and this is a really important one. You see people working with a laptop on a desk and they're leaning forward and that's the worst possible thing. You're going to hurt your neck, your back. You're going to compress your lungs and and all those uh, essential nerves in your rib cage there. It's really, really bad. Uh, In my article, I've got a couple of uh, graphics that I took out of a document from the National Institutes of Health. And the one in particular shows that for your computer display, the top of the display should be about eye level. Because you're just going to naturally look down and they show a normal line of sight at 10 to 15 degrees. And then the maximum line of sight is about 35 degrees to the bottom. You should be able to do this without moving your head, just moving your eyes. Now, what I find is with my desk at the right height, which is actually, I think I measured at 74, 75 centimeters. I still need to put a book under my iMac about three inches to get the display up to the right height. Because remember, these displays have stands and they're not calculated for everyone. So just basically sit in front of your display, take a ruler and find where the height of the display is um, with respect to your eye and raise your display in order to get it to that height. Right. In most cases, uh, you probably will need to raise it up. Um, of course, this all depends on if you have an external monitor or um, or different things like that. There there could be some different scenarios. Now, external monitors often do have adjustable stands, so you can move them up and down um, to adjust the height. But of course, with an iMac, you don't have that option. And so, like Kirk was saying, it, it makes sense to um, to to put something underneath it. Of course, you want to make sure that you're using something nice and sturdy because an iMac is uh, is fairly heavy. So. Thick books, that's what I use. Yeah, thick books can often work for that. Um, uh, There are, of course, stands that that you can buy that um, are fairly handy for that and and also double as kind of a a place that you can put your keyboard, um, you know, when you're not using it to kind of clear your desk space a little bit. I regret that you can't put a Visa mount on an iMac. Um, If you want an iMac with a Visa mount, so that's the, the kind of mount you use for like a TV, 
um, you have to order one special and you won't get the stand. Uh, and, and that's a problem because let's say you buy an iMac with a Visa mount and you want to sell it to someone. It's pretty hard to sell because most people don't want them. But you could get one of those arms that you put on your desk to adjust the height of the iMac perfectly. But more than that, you can adjust the distance when you need it to be closer, far away. And in the section on the display, I point out that if you work with a computer and you wear glasses, it's a good idea to see with an optician if you need special computer glasses. And I have that. I have um, reading glasses, computer glasses, and distance dress glasses for things like driving. So the computer glasses are calculated for the precise distance between the computer and my eyes. And that makes a big difference for me. So the next most important thing, so we've got, we've had the desk and the height, the chair and the position, we've had the display. The next most important things are your keyboard and your pointing device, mouse or trackpad or trackball. It's interesting because you'll see a bunch of graphics about keyboards that show people with their fingers over a keyboard and that their wrists on an angle. And as I was doing this article, I was looking at some of those and then looking the way my hands go on the keyboard and my hands are, how can I say, my wrists are straight and my fingers actually move to be in the right positions. Now, one of the reasons is that I touch type and, and I give a tip in the article, the best thing you can do to improve your ergonomics is to touch type uh, because you're not going to be looking down at the keyboard. It's really bad to look down at the keyboard a lot. But if you can't find a comfortable keyboard, I use an Apple Magic keyboard, very simple. Um, there are a bunch of ergonomic keyboards that are generally split in two so you can angle out each half. Now, I tried one of them years ago. It didn't work very well for me. Yeah, I've actually, I've never seriously tried one. I've I've seen a couple of people who have had them and I put my hands on them and it always feels too awkward to me. I've never really been able to, to get into it. But I, I do know that... Um, as far as like having your hands in an, in in a uh, as relaxed of a of a resting position as possible is a good thing. Um, so if you do experience any sort of pain, especially especially if you're experiencing pain in your hands or wrists, um, it's it's important to to look at that as a possibility that of something that could help out. Um, there's a lot of different styles of ergonomic keyboards. Um, so if you know somebody who uses one, um, you can certainly, uh, try theirs out, um, you know, or ask them for recommendations or why they chose the one that they did. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different varieties out there. So mouse or trackpad or even trackball. And before we get to that, another keyboard tip that's related, um, if you use a keyboard like Josh does, it has a number pad on the right side, your mouse or trackpad, if you're right-handed is going to be further away than if you use a keyboard without a number pad, which means you're going to be moving your arm and you're going to be moving your shoulder more. And that's not a good thing. If you're left-handed, it's not a problem because that keypad's generally on the right. Um, so if you do need to use the keypad a lot, a good idea would be to get some sort of separate keypad. Uh, there's Bluetooth, there's USB keypads you can get. The, one of the biggest causes of pain is the mouse and trackpad. One of the reasons is Many people feel that the position of your hand on the mouse is unnatural. I have a photo in my article of a Logitech mouse that puts your hand kind of in the position you put it when you're shaking hands. So instead of twisting your lower arm to put it flat on the mouse or trackpad, this lets you rest your hand on the side of your hand. Now, I'm not sure how comfortable this is. I've heard some people say it's really great, others not. Um, I've used a trackball a couple of times, but it caused even more problems because it was the kind where you had to move the ball with your thumb 
Um, I don't know about you, but my right thumb, my iPhone thumb, gets way too much work on an iPhone, so I'd rather avoid that uh, when I'm working on my desktop. Right. That probably makes sense. Yeah. I, I know a lot of um, – there's some fancy gamer mice that uh, also are done with this style that you were talking about where – um, your hand is at a more natural resting position where um, rather than having to turn your hand like a normal mouse, uh, you know, where it's just flat on the desk, you have to turn your hand sideways so that your your palm is face down. And with this style of mouse, um, you can keep your hand uh, more or less straight um, and, and it's a more natural resting position for your wrist. Now, one thing I don't like about mouses you keep saying mice i keep saying mouses i think mouses sounds better one thing i don't like <laughs> about them is that you have to move your arm forwards and backwards whereas on a trackpad i'm only moving fingers i think the shoulders one area that gets too much work when we're doing this sort of stuff so if you have shoulder pain you'd want to avoid a mouse and stick with a trackpad um here's another tip if you can learn to use your pointing device with both hands so on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, put it on the right. And on Tuesday and Thursday, put it on the left. And you'll become ambidextrous and you won't have as much stress on your dominant hand. The problem with the mouse that I have an image of in my article is that's a handed mouse. You couldn't put that on the left side. It's designed to be used with the right hand. Um, and if you do have a normal mouse, you've got two buttons. You've got to switch the primary and secondary buttons around in the settings to be able to do that. We'll stop there. There are a few other points in my article. Um, I talk about lighting, which I consider very important. I talk about the general environment, and I talk about changing position. I mentioned the Pomodoro technique, where you work for 25 minutes and then take a five-minute break. There are apps that can manage this. You can use a timer on your iPhone or on your Apple Watch. Um, I find this a really good idea, and I don't do it all the time, but when I have a long project, I find it a really good idea. It just says, okay, time to get up. And you get up, you walk around, you get some tea or coffee, you go outside, you know, you just move around and change your environment. I find this really healthy to do. Right. For a lot of reasons. I, I think it's it's good to, to take a break every so often. Um, there's a lot of studies that have been done on this. Um, and for a variety of reasons, it's a really good idea to, to just get up and take a break every so often. Okay. Well, that's what we're going to do right now. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.